When you trust in lust, pursue after porn and masturbation to somehow satisfy you, when you engage in sinful sexual activity, you are trusting and you are worshiping a false god, an idol. Namely, the assumed ability of King Me to somehow satisfy your sinful sexual pleasures. You've carved and shaped it into something essential in your life, something that feels like you cannot live without. Can you relate? Well, welcome to the Point of Purity podcast, a weekly study filled to the brim with all the tools from Scripture you will ever need to build a lasting life of biblical purity. I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry, and this is episode number 108. And in this week's episode, we discover from Scripture that image worship is idol worship. Well, let me start right off the bat by wishing you a very happy, happy new year. I trust that uh, your celebration of Christmas and the new year went well. You were able to spend, or maybe I should say invest, some wonderful time with family and friends and celebration. And now you're looking forward to a brand new year, to unknown but highly anticipated opportunities to glorify and worship God throughout your life, throughout the year. In last week's episode, episode number 107, the episode entitled Shame Free, we began a a deep dive into understanding the concept of shame. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 17, God says this, listen closely. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to images, You are our gods. Let me ask you a question. In what ways have you been trusting in carved idols? In what ways have you been hoping that images would bring you satisfaction, fulfillment, pleasure, enjoyment? You see, I don't want you to miss the point here. Isaiah 42 verse 17 is saying that when you choose to worship an image, for example, porn, or you're choosing to look at someone lustfully. When you choose to bow to an idol, and I'm going to include masturbation to that, you're, you're, you're masturbating to that image or to that fantasy. When you make those choices, you've turned your back on God. And that is a wicked and a shameful thing. I'd encourage you to open your Bible and look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, and Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Now, I know that this is going to be a hard podcast, a hard episode to listen to. But please, listen to it in its entirety. Let the truth of God's Word wash over your soul and cleanse your heart. In what ways have you been trusting in images to bring you pleasure? And satisfaction. You see, when you trust in lust, when you choose to pursue after porn and masturbation to to somehow bring you satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasure, when you choose to engage in sinful sexual activity, you're trusting in, you're worshiping a false god, an idol. That idol is namely the assumed ability of King Me to somehow satisfy your sinful sexual pleasure. You've you've carved and shaped an idol into something that has become essential in your life. You can't live without it. You're choosing 
to worship that idol as a god. And when you choose to give in to the act of masturbation, self-gratification, you're actually spilling a personal sacrifice onto the altar of that idol. Psalm 97 verse 7 declares that all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Let me be quick to, to share with you that what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to help you understand, what we're trying to walk through here is not, is not a condemnation type thing. It's not a judgmental statement. I struggled with this for over 30 years of my life. I worshiped a false god. I worshiped the image that I thought was going to bring me satisfaction and pleasure and fulfillment. I know what I'm talking about here, so please hear me out. Let me repeat Psalm 97, verse 7. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. All worshipers of of images are put to shame. Isn't that what's happening when we're lusting after another person? Isn't that what's happening when we choose to look at porn and masturbate to it? We're worshiping an image. Are we not boasting in a worthless idol? God says that's a shameful thing. Every time you give in to your sexual temptation, you're declaring by your choice that you believe God is not the one and only true God. Let me repeat that. Watch this now. When you give in to lust, when you give in to porn, when you give in to sexual fantasy, when you give in to that affair, when you give in to masturbation, you are declaring by those choices that Elohim, the almighty, most sovereign creator of the universe, is not the one and only true God because you're worshiping another God. By your actions, you are saying that you are convinced that somehow God cannot, or or maybe better, God will not sufficiently meet all of your needs. Oh, he'll meet some. He may even meet most, but he's not going to be able to meet my physical, sexual needs. So he can't meet all of them. Your lust, you're looking at porn, you're, you're sexually acting out in a sinful way. Those sinful actions are asserting that you are convinced that the images on the screen or the images in your fantasy or the person you're lusting after is more qualified and capable of bringing you satisfaction than God is. So again, I ask, is that not a shameful thing? If, if those thoughts and feelings and actions were fully exposed for the world to see, would you not feel shame? Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 through 11. God says, All who fashion idols are nothing. The things they delight in do not profit that they may be put to shame. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame altogether. Isaiah 44, 9 through 11. I want to repeat a portion of what Isaiah said here. He said, the things they delight in do not profit. In other words, they're profitable for nothing. Listen, do you realize 
Do you recognize? Will you willingly acknowledge the absolute truth in those words? The things that you're delighting in are not profiting you. What profit have you gained from that shameful practice? What has the worship of lust, the worship of porn, the worship of sexual fantasy, the worship of masturbation, what has, has the worship of a false god done for you? I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about what has it done for your flesh here. I, I realize there's a feel-good moment. There's a pop. There's a rush. And, and, and I recognize the fact that it can be euphoric. But I'm not, I'm not talking about what's the benefit to your flesh. I'm talking about your soul, the real you. What has the worship of a false god done for your soul? The flesh gets that momentary burst of pleasure. Oh, yippee. You receive a massive dose of hormones, and, and it gives you that pop and that rush and that ah feeling. All right, congratulations. But then what? What benefit, what profit, what lasting value has that momentary pleasure given to you? In Romans chapter 6, verse 21, the Apostle Paul asks a very powerful question. Here's what he says. What benefit did you reap at that time from the thing you're now ashamed of, the thing that results in death? After the pop, after the rush is gone and the hormones have subsided, <clears throat> you're left with nothing but an emptiness that is just begging to be satiated again and again and again and again. Please, listen to the heart of God as he speaks through the words of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, when he says, My people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me. They've turned their back on me. I'm the fountain of living water. I can provide them with everything that they will ever want or ever need. True satisfaction, true fulfillment comes from God. He goes on to say, the second thing is, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2.13. What about you? Have you forsaken God? Have you turned your back on God in favor of King me? Have you turned your back on the fountain of living water, the only true source of real satisfaction, genuine fulfillment, just so that you can drink the tainted poison water from a cistern full of lust and self-gratification? Let me ask you this. Would you like to live the rest of your life without an ounce of shame? Do you know you can? Listen to what God says about the removal of shame from your life. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Psalm 25, verse 3 says, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Is that powerful or what? Let me quote them again to you. Listen closely. Romans 10, 11. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Psalm 25, 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall ever be put to shame. You see, when your focus, 
when your attention, when your mind and your heart is entirely centered upon God, when you are moment by moment choosing to dethrone King me and surrender your soul over to the lordship and leadership of God in every aspect of your life, my friend, there is no shame. Why? Because you're living for God instead of King me. Living for God, you will not experience shame. Therefore, when you are living for God, instead of King me, you are not sinning. No sin, no shame. Instead of being filled with shame over ungodly behavior, you are experiencing what the scriptures call a fullness of joy. And that fullness of joy results in an unimpeded relationship with your Creator, your Savior, your best friend, your Heavenly Father. I love the words of Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. It says this, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all my fears. The fact is, those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces, watch this now, their faces shall never be covered with shame. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. See, when we're looking to God for everything, when we're lifting up our soul to Him, our soul, everything about us, the core of our being, and we're fully, completely, unreservedly trusting in Him to meet all of our needs all of the time, when God is sitting on the throne of your heart, there's no shame because there's no sin. Isaiah says that the Lord God helps me, therefore I know, I know that I shall not be put to shame. Isaiah 50 verse 7. The psalmist David cries out, O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I am calling upon you. Psalm 31 17. And in Psalm 119, verse 31, he says, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Well, David finishes Psalm 25, verse 2, by saying this, Let not my enemies triumph over me. I want you to take a moment here, and I want you to think seriously about this question. Here it is. Up to this point, In what ways have your enemies, in what ways have lust and porn and masturbation triumphed over you? You do realize, you do recognize, will you willingly admit that there's a deception going on? That the enemy has worked hard, relentlessly, sleeplessly to convince you that you are under control, you are in control of this. Nothing could be further from the truth. I love the promise of Psalm 25, verse 3. It says this, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Let me repeat that, Psalm 25, 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Now, I want you to focus your attention with me for just a moment on the word that David uses for none. Indeed, none who wait for you. That word none is what's called an absolute negation. In other words, absolutely no one, not a single one who waits for God will ever be put to shame. None. (laughs) That is a powerful promise. There's not one ounce of shame ever felt by the one who is waiting for God. 
Never, ever. Now, to fully understand this, to get a deep appreciation for what David's declaring here, we need to examine what he means by the words, wait for you, none who wait for you. What, is it, what does it mean to wait for God? And how does waiting for God guarantee no shame? The idea behind this word wait is, is, is not what we in our modern-day Western culture typically think the word wait means. In today's world, we see waiting as anticipating or, or maybe even dreading something that's yet to come. We, we wait at a traffic light for it to turn green. We wait in the doctor's office to be called back. We wait for a phone call telling us the test results. We, we wait to, to, to see, get, enjoy the arrival of a friend. This, this verb to wait gives the concept of the passage of time before something significant is going to happen. Well, that misunderstanding of the word wait in this verse contributes, I believe, to our anxiety over surrendering over everything over to God. We're concerned that, that he's going to take his time in responding to us, and we have to wait, and we have to wait, and we have to wait. We worry that, that he's going to take my sexual passions away from me, and then I fear that he is going to take his time, and I'm going to have to wait and wait for him to give me something in return, something, by the way, that I'm afraid is probably going to be of lesser value than what I'm currently enjoying. And so we wait, and we wait, and we wait some more. But that's not the meaning of the word that David is using here in, in Psalm 25, verse 3. You see, we aren't waiting for God to do something so that we won't feel shame. The word wait here refers more to looking toward something, looking at someone, in other words, it's focusing upon, it's placing your full attention upon someone and not allowing yourself to be distracted. Th think about it this way. You go to a restaurant, you sit at the table, and shortly a person comes up to you with a pad of paper in their hands and they welcome you and they ask, how may they serve you? We often call that person our waiter or waitress. They're there to wait upon us to serve us. Their primary focus is on meeting our needs. So what David is telling us in Psalm 25, verse 3, is that we are to put God first in everything. We are to place all of our attention, all of our trust, all of our focus upon Him. Wait, not just for Him, as in being patient for Him to work, but also wait on Him, as in serving Him. Place, place your full attention and all of your trust upon him all of the time. And you know what all means. All means all. And that's all all means. You see, our primary focus must be upon serving him, glorifying him, honoring him, waiting on him. And I want to submit that when we faithfully wait on him, when he is number one in our life, when we live in complete surrender and walk in total obedience to our Heavenly Father, we are not put to shame. No sin equals no shame. First Samuel chapter 12, 
verse 24 says that we are to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of our heart. For consider what great things he has done for you, 1 Samuel 12, 24. And as we, as we wait on him, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, for you are serving the Lord, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. When we choose to wait on God, when he is number one in our life, when, when we live in complete surrender and servitude and we choose daily, we choose moment by moment to walk in total obedience to him, we will not be put to shame. No sin equals no shame. Malachi chapter 3, verse 18 tells us that there is a distinction between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Why? Because as Matthew 6, 24 reminds us, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot wait upon God. You cannot wait upon the, the, the Savior of your soul. You cannot serve both God and King me. So the point that David is making here in Psalm 25, verse 3, is that when you put your hope in God, when you rely upon him, when you lift up your soul to your heavenly Father and you fully trust in him, in other words, you're choosing to make him Lord of every aspect of your life, including your sexuality, you will not experience shame because you will not sin. No sin equals no shame. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Hope, in other words, focusing your attention upon God, does not put us to shame. Do you remember our talk about shame in our previous episode? The point here I want to make as we wrap up today's episode is this. When you have Christ as Lord over all of your life, and you choose to walk in obedience to him faithfully, you will not sin. Seriously. No self-centeredness equals no sin. No sin equals no shame. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. Isaiah 49, verse 23, God says, I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Those who put their focus upon me will not sin. No sin, no shame. Okay. We're going to hit the pause button again until next week's episode as we look forward to continuing this study. And if you'd like to learn more about today's study, or if you're interested in learning more about the Pure Man Ministry and the Purity Coach, be sure to visit our website. We have provided a multitude of resources available to you to help you in your walk towards purity and godliness and integrity. You can find our website at The Purity Coach. It's all one word, The puritycoach.com. And there's a powerful resource I want to make available to you. It's my book that I've written entitled Overcoming Temptation, Four Steps to Spiritual Victory. You see, saying no to temptation, choosing to live an upright and godly life, keeping your focus on your heavenly father and walking in obedience to him. Let's face it, that's a daily decision that you've got to make on a moment-by-moment basis. And every time Every time you're faced with a temptation, you're also faced with a decision. Do I give in 
Or do I stand firm in my faith and fight? Do I yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit and choose to wait for God, choose to live for for His honor and His glory? Or do I break down and focus on King me and give in to my fleshly desires? Well, this book, Overcoming Temptation, Four Steps to Spiritual Victory, it, it, it presents in a very clear and practical way how you can live a life that is holy how you can live daily a life that is pure, how you can moment by moment say no to sin and live by the Spirit in a way that truly honors and glorifies your your Heavenly Father. So again, the title of the book is called Overcoming Temptation, Four Steps to Spiritual Victory. It's available on Amazon.com, or you can go to my website, thepuritycoach.com, and go to our resources section. You can find it there. Well, if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, let me encourage you to do so today. You don't want to miss any of our upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is author, speaker, and purity coach Steve Etner reminding you that if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, He must first be glorified in your every moment thinking. Thinking.